All right, take two. Hello, and welcome to Forming, a podcast for in the diocese. <laughs> you do it, Emma. Okay. All right, let's try one more time. I don't know how Chris does it so well. Hello, and welcome to Forming, a podcast uh, in the Diocese of Southern Ohio. Christopher Richardson is not with us today. Um, I am Jason Oden, a priest in the diocese and also a member of the diocesan formation team. Hi, I'm Emma Helms-Steinmetz, a member of the formation team. And this afternoon, we are talking to Di McCullough, who um, will share with us a little bit about some of the formation they've been able to do at home through um, this very strange pandemic year, as well as um, just some of the things she's really passionate about with building community. And we're excited to have her. Um, both Jason and I have spent some time and know Di, and so we're excited just to chat and um, hear some of the ins and outs of how she found her way to meet both of us. Um, Di, welcome. I'm so glad that you're with us today. I am delighted to see you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and we do you want to sort of introduce yourself, how you came to um, be in the Diocese of Southern Ohio, how... Um, what experiences you've sort of had that led you to where you are now in your faith life? Sure, I can do that. I am a lay person here in the diocese, um, but I'm also a seminary trained uh, healthcare chaplain and I'm a spiritual director, but I am mostly a full-time parent at this point. I have sort of a wandering path to being an Episcopalian and particularly one here in this diocese. I was a military kid growing up. Um, lived all over the world and worshipped in lots of different kinds of chapels, and I had sort of a blended family religiously. And when I graduated from college, I moved to a really small town. I was working two jobs. One of them was retail, so I drew a radius on a map and looked at the churches that were within a couple of miles of my retail job so that I could get there on Saturday and then get to work. Um, One of them was a Baptist church that I went to a few times. The singing was great the fondness for Jerry Falwell wasn't. Um, and so I tried the Episcopal Church down the road. Um, and it was a really lovely community. I'd been an English major, so the Episcopal Church was appealing. Um, it felt like the Episcopal Church felt like a place where all the pieces of my childhood formation could sort of live together harmoniously, which it turns out, you know, a couple decades later, I can see is both true and not true. Um, and it happened to be a really loving congregation. I'd been there a couple months when my third date with my now husband was a New Year's Eve party thrown by some really rowdy septuagenarians. So that's how I started in the Episcopal Church. <laughs> um, and I left for a little while. Um, that was another diocese. I left for a little while and I came back here in this diocese and it's good to be here. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing some of those um, winding roads that have led many of us to um, where we find ourselves now as adults. Yes. Di, <laughs> um, one of the things, so uh, we crossed paths originally a few years ago um, when you were the interim, actually, when I went on maternity leave from a role that I held in a parish. Um, and I just would love to talk 
and hear you share more about soup night. So that's like one of the things that I'll never forget. So I was like, we were like talking just to make sure you'd be the right fit for the position, which was perfect. Um, and you started talking about soup night and we were just talking about, um, sort of church being in the church and out of the church and being the church and what community looks like. And you started tearing up as you talked about it. And I just will never forget how, um, precious that, um, event was to you and your family every, every week or every month rather, I think, but I'd love to hear you kind of talk about how you've built community in your life and, and about soup night. Cause I just think it's the coolest thing. Soup night. Yes. I would love to tell you about soup night. Uh, in the fall of 2016, I kind of looked around at my neighbors and at the people I knew, um, and at the people I didn't know. And I thought that we really needed to be able to just spend time together without a purpose, Mm -hmm. just to be supportive of each other without necessarily having things in common. Because I'm a military brat, uh, it's really easy for me to show up in new places. It's really easy for me to talk to strangers. And that's not something that's true for everyone. And so I realized that what we could do is bring people together in our house. So for the first year, it was every week, every Sunday night from five to seven. Um, My husband, I don't do things in the kitchen other than eat. My husband (laughs) would put on pots of soup and we would just have an open invitation that whoever wanted to stop by could. After the first year, it moved to once a month because every week was a lot. It's a lot of hosting. Yeah. (laughs) But strangers not only got invited, but came, you know, I picked people up at, at story time at the library and also at, at immigration protests. Mm -hmm. Um, and lots of different people sat down next to each other. And because I was their only common link or not even me, even just the fact that they showed up was their only common link. They managed to find something to talk about and, community came together really beautifully. And it was always different. Sometimes there would be two people and sometimes there would be 14 people in my tiny beige apartment. But it was really lovely. And I think the biggest thing that I noticed from it and the biggest thing that I've drawn from it reflecting on it is that my not intrinsically belonging anywhere is a gift Mm -hmm. if I use it as such. You know, so many people either grow up in one place or are cradle something or other. Mm. And that gives them a sense of belonging, but it so often becomes a closed place that they belong to. Mm. And I don't think that's what Jesus called us to. I think Jesus calls us to love, but I think of things like, you know, who are my mother and brothers? And I think we're called to love each other and not to rope ourselves off and soup night was a really chaotic, (laughs) fun way to do that. And we haven't done it, of course, since March 2020. We're trying to figure out if there's an outdoor way to do it this summer. But it was wonderful. I loved it. Yeah. Did you do it at your your home? Where did you do it? We did it it in my tiny, hideous beige apartment, Jason. (laughs) Wow. And it was so, and that's a really important thing too, right? Like it wasn't pretty. Sometimes it was like a card table next to the regular table. The chairs didn't match (laughs) because there weren't enough matching chairs. (laughs) It was crowded. It was a little uncomfortable, but people talk more to each other when it's a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like when I have to say to a stranger, I'm sorry, I did not mean to elbow you when I was reaching for the cornbread. People laugh more easily when it's not perfect. Yeah. How did you get him to to come? Like, what was your invitation? My magnetic personality? Yeah. um, (laughs) (laughs) That's number one, probably. (laughs) 
I don't know. I didn't need to do anything. I just asked. Mm. You know, I just said, hey, this is happening and there's no pressure. And these are the hours that our door is unlocked and come when you want and leave when you want. But you have to be gone by this time because the kid has a good time. Um, And people just came. Not everybody came. You know, the people who came least were the people who had their own entrenched community. Mm -hmm. But lots of other people came. One of the, in fact, Emma and I met because we both worked for a program in the Episcopal Service Corps. And one of the students from that came when it was done. In fact, the one you'd expect the least maybe came (laughs) when it was done. And that maybe is the thing that's true, both in Christian community and in soup night, the people that you might expect the least Mm -hmm. are the people who want to be part of community. um, And the people who don't have a place where it's obvious to everyone that they belong. Mm come most easily. When I think too, it just speaks to the fact that so many of us are waiting for the invitation. Like I know um, a few weeks ago, we talked a little bit about evangelism. We talked with Jerusalem Greer, who does evangelism for the whole Episcopal church. And um, that can seem like such a dangerous topic and a scary thing to invite someone to church or to invite someone somewhere that you don't know well. But I think so many of us are just waiting for someone to say, Hey, Um, you're welcome to come. There's no pressure. And um, there's a meal. Like we're kind of all strangers and then we get to know each other and then everybody leaves because I've got a kid that goes to bed. You know, like I think too, having a time frame is super helpful for something like that so that people know it's um, they're welcome and there's an end to it. You know, (laughs) like it won't. It does make it less awkward. Boundaries are always helpful. I will say that the other piece of that, that isn't intuitive is it helps not to take the invitations that we issue personally. Mm, mm-hmm. Like I'm for better or worse, I'm not much of a people pleaser. And so if you come, that is delightful. And if you don't, my day goes on. Right. Um, right. It doesn't mean that I don't love you. It just means that my worth isn't tied up in your yes. Mm-hmm. And that matters when we're when we're making invitations. For sure. And then it's, I think that even makes it feel like so much less pressure on the person you're inviting because like they're not going to ruin your day by not coming or by coming, you know, like it just is, is truly an open invitation. And I, you know, I have, I, you gave me your card with your address on it. And I think it even says something about soup night or maybe I wrote that on the back, but I think I wrote like anytime. You know, like it's not necessarily, obviously not currently, but it's not like the invitation was like, okay, well, if you can come in May, that's great. But if not, let me know. And I'll think about, you know, it's, it's just open to when it works. And I love, I just think that's the most amazing type of community. And even just the concept of like messy hospitality, because I think folks can walk in and, you know, take their shoes off or whatever, but just get comfortable because it's not stuffy and they know what fork to use. You know, it's not confusing and all of that. And it might be like, there's a real chance that that's horrifying. Right. Ab- right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I should say it makes me very comfortable to know <laughs> that um, other folks live in the same way where they live in their home and they don't just like not touch the things in their home and have them out. Yeah. Yeah. And particularly since it started when our son was so small, perfection was not an option. It, that was just not yeah. something we could even pretend to. Yeah. And there was a lot of freedom in that. So I'd love to hear how he, like what, obviously maybe not, you can't say too much about like what his experience is, but like, how do you think that shaped some of his like community 
mindedness or like his thoughts around meeting people in general? I'm not at all sure that I've shaped him all that much. Um, (laughs) Came out of the womb real social. (laughs) Um, We used to say that, um, like before he could talk, we used to say that he was at a pancake breakfast running for mayor. (laughs) And I have a clear memory of when he was about a year and a half old and we went to the zoo and he wasn't really talking yet, but he walked up to a group of middle school girls, smiled and shook each of their hands waited to be fussed over and then walked away. Um, oh my gosh. So, <laughs> um, he liked having people in our home. That was important to him and he really misses it right now. But that's not something I created. He came pre-programmed with that. <laughs> well, and I imagine too that having folks in your home certainly didn't hurt. Like it just helped to continue to develop that. I have not been to soup night, but I bet like I just sort of have this vision that I would arrive and your son would come right up to me and like make me feel welcome and give me the rundown. Like, well, here's sort of how it goes maybe. Or like, there's the kitchen, there's the bathroom, there's the table. Can I get it? Can I get you anything? (laughs) Um, I'm not sure he's quite that solicitous, but he would definitely talk to you. Um, He would explain to you what his current Lego project was, I'm sure. But what about you? Because you both have young children. So I wonder how, well, and it's really hard with you, Emma, because it's hard to talk about shaping hospitality when your little one is so young and this past year has been what it was. Right. But but maybe Jason, you can talk about how hospitality has worked for your household and what maybe that might particularly mean in a blended family. Yeah. I mean, when, when it comes to a blended family and hospitality, it's it, those do go hand in hand because you... Most, most people, maybe you don't know this, but I, I am in a blended family and I have two daughters and my wife has two daughters and and we're very different, um, both as individuals. I mean, my wife and I have a lot in common and we have a really, really wonderful and loving like relationship. But when it comes to my daughters and me and her daughters and her, like as units, we're just very different. We're into different types of things. Her daughters are very loud and vocal and are into cosplay. Heather's not, but my wife isn't. But but um, her daughters are. They're very they're creative and imaginative, and they will wear all kinds of different outfits. You know, my daughters are like more probably. You know, I would describe them more like me. I mean, my youngest daughter loves to do TikToks and dances, which I don't <laughs> necessarily love to do. But my oldest daughter is really into um, hiking and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and things that are very much more like what I'm into, but we are usually very quiet and very, um, just kind of into simplicity and, and not really drawing attention to ourselves. So it, it really is up to Heather and I to be intentional about, I mean, in fact, I, you and I were just talking before we even started the podcast about this family vacation we're going to go on this summer. and this vacation is not just something that brings us all, you know, recreation or escape or some kind of entertainment. There's an intentionality to it, you know, like bringing our two families together, creating memories and trying to create a bond and, you know, and, and being open to each other and and celebrating our differences and really appreciating, you know, what our life would have been like if we hadn't had these Mm -hmm. people in our lives, you know, because, when it comes to divorce and, and homes that are divided and 
there's a lot of sadness with that. My daughter certainly went through, I mean, I, I did, my, my daughters did. We certainly went through a time of grief and, you know, and still grieving sometimes those moments that those kind of traditional family moments. And, but I think there's been times where we both said we all, and the three of us, my daughters and I were like, you know, we're really thankful for what Heather and her girls bring mm -hmm. to our lives. So we, we just, you know, and that we wouldn't have thought about things that way. We wouldn't have really known people who do cosplay <laughs> and, and it, it's, it's helped us. And I think, I mean, I think about your soup night. I think about what are the relationships that have cascaded, you know, like how is that cascaded into, into people's lives and the relationships that it's built and like, how has, how has the community that you've nurtured and cultivated in your small apartment, how has that, you know, cascaded out into the world? It, I'm certainly thinking about a lot, a lot of this because it's a, it's something that we're incorporating into our work here at Church of the Advent is we wouldn't, we don't necessarily call it soup night, but we're going to be, you know, partnering with La Soup, which is a, a food insecurity kind of nonprofit that, you know, addresses food insecurity and, and um, takes food that's usually wasted mm. and makes it some kind of meal for people who are experiencing food insecurity but we're going to partner with them and they're going to give us soup and we're going to host people from the neighborhood and just invite them in and sit around a table and have conversation and, and really welcome the different experiences and the different ideas and the different um, interests that people have and, and learn from it and become a, you know, a better individual because of it. So I love it that you talked about this soup night. It is certainly something that is on my mind and in hospitality. And I've really learned within the last couple of months, for sure, just how important hospitality is and how important it is to make that kind of connection when somebody is crossing a threshold to a, into a home they just don't know very well mm -hmm. or to a space that's familiar and has a lot of people who are not familiar to them because unlike you i mean that you know where you feel really comfortable with meeting new people you know it's certainly a lot of people who that is like <laughs> the most terrifying thing in the world <laughs> it's not the baseline for normal i do appreciate that. <laughs> i love um so i mean when i was at st john's um in franklinton they had every sunday they do an outside church service at a street corner in franklinton it's just called street church. They do it rain or shine. I think this is the last Easter. I think they celebrated their 14th year. And that's actually where Christopher Richardson is um, the parish priest now. And so they've continued that, but, but they also do yeah. something on Wednesdays, which is like maybe 20 or 30 minutes of praise music and worship songs. And then they all go down and have dinner together. Um, there's no requirement to be a part of, either part of that. So you can come for worship, you can come for the meal, you can come for both or, or whatever um, order makes sense. But um, that meal every Wednesday night, I think it's been going on for 33 years now. They have different parishes and ecumenical partners that provide the meal, but it's so neat. I mean, there's folks that live outside. There's folks that are, um, you know, working for different companies that have moved into Columbus. And so you sometimes have people that are like in a suit or in business clothes next to someone who 
lives outside or is really like on the verge and struggling with housing or food security and a number of things. And I I just think food really is what brings people together too. Right. And so I think always having the opportunity. So I love Jason that um, you all are starting this. The thing I would say I learned the most from Die in starting something like this, which I've never done personally, is to have a card that has the information on it, like a business card that you can hand out to people. I just think that's so smart with the address or with the time, like whatever it is. Um, like I still have that. And we met years ago now. And so I think, but finding a way to tangibly give people something instead of just like expecting them to remember where and when and all those things. But as far as hospitality in my own home, so my husband and I love, love hosting, you know, like, through the early times in our relationships. I mean, we just always loved sort of like hosting parties and having friends over. And then as we got older, that turned into like a few times a year, we would do like a big New Year's Eve party or big dinner parties. And then having a kid certainly shifted that. So we just moved everything earlier, a few hours. (laughs) And so our parties became like afternoon, you know, things. And one of us would get her down for a nap and then we could keep enjoying ourselves. But yeah, COVID certainly shifted a lot of that. So, and we moved about an hour away from where a big part of our community had been. And so, you know, we were ready for a big change and really excited about having a little bit more space. That's what took us about an hour outside of Columbus. But I'm really excited when it feels like the time is right to sort of start building a community in this really small town where we live now and just starting to meet some different folks and inviting sort of these different spheres of um, people that we, that we really care about and love to meet new folks and friends. And, but certainly having, so our daughter just turned two, we'll have another um, daughter this summer. And I mean, having kids just shifts a lot, but my daughter is so social. She, similar to your son, I mean, if we like, she's been in so few stores in the past year, but um, a couple of times it just was unavoidable or whatever. I mean, she will say hi to every single person until they respond. Like she will say, hi, 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 until they say hi back. And Jason, like you said, some people, it is like their nightmare to meet new people. And so they go to the store and really want to tune out other people. <laughs> and my two-year-old just um, does not let that happen. <laughs> But I, she will be thrilled when it is safe to start having some people and meeting meeting new people and just sort of hosting again. But I live in the sort of messy hospitality world of like, you know, I don't want the house to be a big mess or whatever that looks like. I want to have the things that would make people feel comfortable. But also, I'm not comfortable doing like 10 hours of cleaning for a two-hour event. So I sort of live in, in balance somewhere in that world. So... I think it's interesting that you brought up moving out of like sort of deep quarantine out of the depths of COVID and how we think about the ways that that relates to hospitality and also just to connection. We, we talked a little bit earlier um, and I said, I won't speak for anybody else. I won't show anybody's cards, but I said that I feel like I'm um, pretty out of fuel at this mm-hmm. point. And there may or may not have been acknowledgement that I was not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> But I mentioned that when I think about connection, because, you know, a few months back, I thought that once I was fully vaccinated, that I would want to put on a cocktail dress and go kiss all my friends and Mm -hmm. like bring flowers everywhere. And what I find that I really want um, 
is to maybe wear black for a year and just Mm. sit and very quietly hold my friend's hands, which is unfortunate because, you know, during that phase, I bought a lot of sequins. (laughs) (laughs) There will Uh, come a time. In due time, in due time. But I think we are entering like a, a new period to navigate in terms of connecting with each other. And it's really sensitive, right? I feel tender about it. Um, and the people that I know who just really like want to go like gangbusters, there are really deep feelings for them around it too. So it's, it's important to me that we have clear connections with each other about where we are and what we hope for and what's going to work and what isn't going to work because community is such a need that we're all raw in different ways. So I think that this is just one of those one of those little bridge places, one of those rough transitions that's going to require careful thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I too, like I'm a, a, some friends might call me an extreme extrovert, uh, but I think I'm a little bit toned down from that. And so right, desperate just to be with people and in the ways that felt really comfortable before, but exactly at the same time, that won't feel comfortable right now. And so finding what that will look like. And one of the big places of that for me is, is church and worship um, and being in community. Our family has, has watched um, mostly online worship for the last year plus, And we felt really comfortable doing that. And it's been comfortable to, you know, sometimes watch church in your pajamas or to be singing along and, you know, whatever that looks like. But yeah, I think that that'll be a big place where I'm, again, so excited to get back into the community and at the same time, so hesitant to make sure that it feels right for me and those around me and my family and all of those things. Yeah, I would love to sit and just be with people quietly at the same time, you know, I think I need a little bit of refueling (laughs) for a long time before I feel really ready to sort of jump back into whatever life will look like. The other piece of that to me is that, um, I really love, there's an old line that says you should never let a good crisis go to waste. (laughs) Um, And I really think that in times when we can't do what we've always done, there's so much opportunity to reach for possibility. And so as we're emerging, as we're shifting, I really don't want to rush back to what was. Yeah. Because yeah. I think as beloved as churches and as our people are, a lot of things are broken. Mm-hmm. And I so hate to let the bone heal without resetting it. And I think that this is such an opportunity to be brave and shift, but that's uncomfortable too. Right. Yeah, man. I love that uh, metaphor though, because we could just go back exactly as we were and then we're still just as broken. Um, I think one of the, you know, gifts of the past, you know, 14 months, though it's taken so much from so many is that a lot of people are being really honest at this point about what it, what is challenging or what, what this life has looked like. And so I um, yeah, never want to go back to where we can't be honest about that or to where we don't have the support that we need because we couldn't be honest about it. I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, I, I was right. I think it was like March, 2020 and so many things were happening so fast and we were doing our first pre-recorded service and I had to do the sermon and 
I just remember thinking, this is something that we're going to go through and it's never going, mm-hmm. we're never going to be the same. And, I, I, and that was certainly a message, you know, within my sermon. But saying that, I also think about how we die what you were saying. I, I think about how we do long, so many of us long just to go back to way, the way things were. And so now there's almost like, there really has to be intentionality to not to not do that. And it's uncomfortable and it's hard. And um, culturally, we're really bad at grief. And also a lot of times mm-hmm. when we talk about grief, we want to believe that it's only related to death and mourning. Mm-hmm. And every new phase of life has a little bit of grief in it because there's something left behind and we really right. don't want to touch that. So I think that that's, I think we need chaplains, honestly. <laughs> I think the church needs to be accompanied by chaplains yeah. and individuals need to be accompanied by chaplains who can help them process and stay honest. I think that honesty piece is really important. And the other piece that's important to me is that things changed more for some people than for others, right? Right. Particularly people of color were disproportionately affected And also women and families with young children, we have data talking about how much they've carried, how hundreds of thousands of women have left the workforce in the last year. And as churches, we're trained to provide pastoral care, mostly to people who are grieving a death or to people who are elderly and maybe not able to come to church, I think we a little bit dropped the ball, not in any particular parish, but in a sense of the wider church. It didn't occur to look at, to provide help to populations that don't usually need help. Mm. I know one parish who early in the pandemic, maybe not that early, it might've been the beginning of the school year, um, took meals to families with kids who were in some way returning to structured learning. But we mostly don't think to do that, Mm. right? So in addition to questions about how do we want to do worship? How do we keep doing worship hybrid so that people with disabilities can still be part of the community? I Mm. hope we can also shift our thinking to ask more questions about who needs support, who has resources to provide that support that we might have overlooked. I think that there it's just one of the many opportunities that, Emma, you're exactly right, we had the honesty and the, you know, no way to avoid honesty in some places this mm-hmm. year. Um, and that provided us with opportunity to see these things. And I very badly hope we don't miss it. Hmm. Wow. Die. Yes. That really speaks. I think that that's helpful informing how we even shape kind of formation mm-hmm. going forward. Yeah. In the diocese. For our team, you know, we're we're certainly trying to evaluate and assess everything that's going on and respond to the pandemic and 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 how how people are even engaging formation and information now. And that's a really important element that you just brought up, Di. Or how you know how we on the formation team plan going forward, you know, offerings and and the different things that we address and things like that. I mean, I know that certainly it's more, it's needed more as well in liturgy or as in ministry and things like that. But for us, I'm very thankful that you said that because I, I think that will definitely help us as we plan out uh, formation. I saw, uh, it was like a silly video, but to make the point that it took 
a pandemic for places to do curbside like delivery, which has been incredibly helpful for um, many folks in the disabled community who before, even if you could do store pickup, you still had to park and get out of the car and things like that. Um, and then tagged onto that then was a group of moms with young kids, which is a category I fall into. And they were like, yes, why the heck haven't we been doing this forever when my kid's sleeping in the car seat? But just the things that we don't, we didn't think were possible before because we hadn't had to do them, but the way that they've served communities that for generations and decades have been asking, like, do you think we could make this a little more simple? Like, I'm not asking to, you know, change the whole system, but is there a way? Um, And it turns out there is a way. And so exactly. Yeah. I hope we can continue some of the, some of the ways to support people, even if it's not when things, you know, when things change, you know, because there are still people that would be supported by the ways we've offered support to so many this past year. I love the way that you framed that, Emma, because I think that's exactly right. So many accommodations were things that other people had seen the needs for, for a long time. And when that need broadened or when that need came to people who hadn't experienced it before, suddenly it was possible. So I love that you recognize that. And I also think it's such a stark reminder to take seriously and listen to people whose experiences are not ours. Yeah. Um, I'm really grateful that you, you put it that way. Cause I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Just sort of piggybacking on um, what Jason was saying. I mean, right now uh, we're thinking through even as a team, what the rest of 2021 will look like through 2022. Like we have been brainstorming what the next two years look like. And while we're excited to sort of get back to, our retreats and, and um, things at camp and trainings in person. Again, there are so many folks that that has been a challenge for. When we did a young adult retreat in December, I think we had 35 folks register from, and we have people in Seattle and California and Alabama and Wisconsin. And many of those are from our diocese, though not all of them. There were a few people that were like, oh yeah, a friend told me about this. I'd love to join. But they never would have flown to our diocese to be with us for 36 hours because that was, you know, that's not realistic either. But just the ways that we can reach people when we're able to think through new ways. And it's certainly a challenge. You know, I'm not being a clergy person. I know that so many in the clergy community a year ago, especially we're just reeling and it has not been, it's not gotten easier. It has just gotten sort of part of normal life for our clergy folks to maybe pre-record a service. And then they do one on Sunday morning or whatever that looks like also. But uh, I'm hopeful that the folks that have been reached, we can continue to brainstorm ways to, to be with people when they're not able to leave their homes. You know, I think of the trauma of, um, post-pandemic life when we think about what it is that we've all kind of lived through. And there will be people that aren't ready to leave their homes, even when it is deemed safe, because who chooses what that means these days? <laughs> so Jason, that's sort of on you. And I'm sorry to, <laughs> to put that task as a clergy person. Well, no, it, I resonate with that. I mean, now, you know, every Sunday I'm thinking, how do I make sure that, you know, the live stream is, set up in the zoom, you know, is, is and the camera is that it has, you know, and I think honestly, 
I mean, it's funny you guys talked about, especially, you know, like the things that, that businesses have been doing because of the pandemic. Like, so as a single father mm-hmm. 10 years ago with a five-year-old and a three-year-old, I would have loved to have curbside yeah. pickup or, you know, like the Kroger thing where you get the groceries and they just put mm-hmm. them in the back of your car where I had to go grocery shopping with them. And not only were they, you know, saying right. hello to everybody, they wanting right. everything in the store. <laughs> and I mean, that that's, you know, I, I certainly survived, but I can only, I think ultimately my point is the world is different. <laughs> and there are, yeah, I think a lot of us are going to be emerging out of this pandemic. And we're just going to, I just think the paradigm has mm-hmm. shifted. And I know that we've, we've kind of gone back and forth and there's an element of like, there's things we have to be intentional about. We can't fall back into just the same old patterns, but there's also the element of just things have shifted and, and, and that really plays into how we move forward, you know? And I mean, like even, I know one of the questions that we wanted to ask you, Di, was just even, you know, like faith formation. I know that you and I actually were a part of a, a podcast last year uh, that we did with Carl Stevens and Jane Gertson and I'm just trying to understand like how does not just formation, but liturgy and ministry and all that, kind of, how does the pandemic and you know, how do we do this in the pandemic? And I, at the time, I just remember how important prayer had become because mm. of that, you know, because I started, you know, for the parish that I was a part of this morning prayer thing. And then it ended up just being, and then it's funny how you were talking about, at our retreat. I mean, this morning prayer by, you know, 10 weeks into this, I had mm. people from Africa joining. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was amazing. It was how different, what a different experience. But um, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead. So that, there's just, you know, like faith formation at home. I mean, the prayer service that you started, uh, the Compton community, what are, what are some, some aspects of that experience that you, you know, that you've learned, what have you learned from that? What are, what are you taking in, you know, as we, as you move forward? Um, So we started a group of friends and I, not into the first week of schools being closed back in March, I noticed I wasn't sleeping well. And I figured I probably wasn't the only person for whom that was true. And the, the Compline service in our book of common prayer is beautiful and comforting. And so I hopped on Facebook live and started doing Compline. And I was lucky enough to have other friends who wanted to be part of a rotation. And so for a little over a year, a group of us who referred to each other as the Complinistas (laughs) um, hosted Compline on Facebook every night, but Saturday, we only missed once. It was lay people and clergy. It was Episcopalians and Lutherans. We might've had a Methodist, my Quaker husband co-led sometimes, and people showed up because they wanted their lives and their needs and their joys to be witnessed before God. And it was lovely. Mm-hmm. And just like sometimes just a handful of people came and sometimes a lot of people came. It was really important to me when we set it up that it was there that initially for most of the year, it was hosted on our initial pages and not on a separate page because that way you could stumble on it. You know, you didn't have to go somewhere intentionally, but you could show up to social media and have an opportunity 
to be with a loving face. It was also a lot easier, we noticed, than Zoom, because while we could interact with the comments, we didn't have to worry about... Zoom is a little bit performative, right? Mm -hmm. We have to look like we're paying attention when we're in a Zoom meeting. And when we're gathered in a physical room, I can knit and not look you in the eye and you can know that I'm listening. Facial expression is the only way to know that we're engaged in a Zoom meeting. So having the video be one-sided was super helpful. And there are things about that that I would keep. We ended it because bedtimes shifted truthfully <laughs> and vaccines started. And, yeah. and that's a long time for a small group to keep something going. Yeah. But sharing the load was worth keeping. And that was really helpful. And making it as broad as it was, was helpful to me. And the way it grew up organically was helpful to me. And I know that that doesn't help professional church people, but I think the way it does help professional church people is to think about what's already there and to provide support for it rather than planning an exciting program (laughs) before, before there's specific need. Um, so responding to what's really there was helpful. When I think even, you know, like I'm a, I'm going to call myself a semi-professional church person. I'm in the church world. Right. But, um, Mm -hmm. I think just listening to what people are looking for and then gathering with the community that shows up, you know, a few times and I'm friends with you on Facebook. So I had the chance to like, see your calls to say like, Hey, this person can't lead. Tuesday night after all, is there anyone else? And sometimes you would have like someone who would lead that one time and then not other times, or like they would respond and say, I'm thinking about it, but I can't commit, you know, like, because I think that's what it takes is to be asked again. But exactly like in the church, I think and our formation team has talked about this a lot. Like we have so many ideas that we love But if you just keep starting new things all the time because you love the idea, then you sort of lose so much of what people might actually be wanting. It's unsustainable, right? And so to gather a community, to um, have folks join you in something that they're interested in, that's what sustainable ministry and community looks like. And like you built a community around this, like this team of componistas, um, really built something that I think was just so incredible. And for as long as it lasted, right? Like I think part of our Christian life teaches that like things don't have to live forever because when something, when it is the time for something to die and move on, like there is resurrection in a different way. Yeah. I think that too. I am curious too. And I know we're probably coming up on the end of our time, but I'd love to hear just like what um, faith formation has looked like with having a a young person in your home in sort of the age range that that your son is in. I mean, before would have been like maybe in like a church school, Sunday school age. And so like, are there things that you and your family did together just to kind of keep some of this faith formation rolling and certainly your expertise and your passion for ministry? I just like comes out of you. So I know that this has been happening, whether it's planned or not. I I hope it's been happening. It's, it's one of the things that there are concrete ways that it's been happening. But one of the things that's been interesting is that because faith formation has happened at home, there's been a lot more room for nuance in conversation. I think sometimes the ways that we teach children in church are simplified because we want to make sure a specific message is received, but we can talk about contradiction 
in a home setting Mm. in ways that are harder or more sensitive in a larger setting. So that's been a real gift. I I kind of, I've actually really loved, we call it basement church um, (laughs) because on Sunday mornings, you know, it's on a screen and the rule is if you build a fort before church starts, then you can watch church from your fort, but you can't build the fort during church. (laughs) Excellent rule. It's great. Um, But you know, so my son builds his fort before church when he remembers to. And then if he has a question during church, um, if it's, if we're doing it pre-recorded, we can pause it and we can speak yeah. to the question. We can have an annotated service. We can talk about the liturgy. We can talk about why we do and don't pray for different things. We have a difference of opinion. <laughs> we can talk about that. Um, if we want to add things to the prayers of the people, we can do that. There have been real gifts mm-hmm. in that flexibility. I've loved that. Um, So that's a part of what we've done. I have noticed in my own life of faith that different practices, different spiritual practices feel accessible in different seasons. Mm -hmm. And I also am aware that we don't always get that message, right? I have certainly known people who were really insistent that one particular way was the right way. You know, I grew up partly in evangelical churches. And there are a lot of times, you know, morning devotional times, first thing early in the morning with your Bible and your journal was the way to, was the right way to do it. Um, and I know people for whom centering prayer is the right way to do it. And both of those are good things, but there have been some seasons when I couldn't do those things when I needed something else. Um, so it's really important to me that my son gets a steady foundation of a lot of options. One thing that we have done, I like to pick a practice during Lent with him because we've got 40 days to learn it and then you can do what you want with it. The Ignatian examine, the daily Mm. review works beautifully at bedtime. It's, I liked it more than he did. I'm not going to lie, but maybe one day he will love it. And that's between him and God, not between him and me. Um, so there are a lot of things that we do. We're both big readers. Thank heavens, because I don't know how we would have gotten through this year without the library. And <laughs> yeah, but that matters to both of us. And so, um, Miriam McKinney actually has given some great suggestions for books, but other people have as well. And that's been great. Um, so there are a lot of things we've been able to do together. We do a morning meeting just for this year. We're homeschooling and we do a morning meeting. And if it's a saint's day, we talk about that saint because the church universal is really, really important to me. And I think it's helpful to see what the different possibilities are in terms of living a life of faith, because there's such a breadth there. So those are some of the things we've done together. My own formation at home this year, for Lent this year, um, I did a daily loving kindness meditation, and it was tremendously helpful this particular spring when, like, I expected to hit the wall in January and I did, but then I thought that shortly afterwards I would go up and over the wall (laughs) and I'm still waiting to get over. (laughs) Um, So loving kindness meditation was this really helpful spiritual practice for me. I also, this last year have, um, my grandmother was Roman Catholic and sometimes in the summers at bedtime, we would pray the, the Roman Catholic rosary together. And I, distinguish it because there are lots of different ways to pray an Anglican rosary. There are lots of different ways to engage with prayer beads. What has felt really special to me about the Roman Catholic way of praying the rosary is that it takes us through different events in the life of Christ. And it's a great, it's just a great way to sit with 
those different phases of the life of Christ. Our creeds are mostly birth and death, you know, and so much of it is birth, death, and resurrection, and a little bit less of all the stuff in the between. I don't know. I run around with enough Mennonites that I really want the stuff in between. <laughs> so those have been the parts of my formation that have mattered. And so, and, and I think the other thing that's important about that too, right, is that some of it's shared and some of it's individual and balance there helps me. And balance doesn't always mean equal each week. It means sort of an ebb and flow back and forth as needed and just trying to stay attuned to where all of us are getting a little squirrely and where we need a little bit more support. What about you guys? What does formation look like for you, especially in these times when there have been so many external expectations put up on you? How are you grounded? That's a great question. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I want to confess. at home uh, experience. You know, I, in the beginning of the pandemic, I really got creative and, and did some really, I, I don't know, I remember even doing like a Palm Sunday thing that involved like my neighbor and, and in the backyard and and the fire pit and all this kind of stuff. And I don't know, I mean, the summer hit and then in a blended family, you know, kids are going every other way. And honestly, that would be interesting, faith formation mm-hmm. in a blended mm-hmm. family. I would have a podcast on that. Faith formation in a blended camp family when half of your family really isn't super mm. religious. <laughs> that's a that's very difficult, actually, yeah. sometimes. To, how, how do you not alienate your other, kind of the other half? However, yeah, I would say that. And then as a person who, you know, I, I have to kind of oversee the formation of so many people, I've kind of neglected my kids, you know, like, and that's really crappy. <laughs> So maybe this is a confession and this is a moment that I need to, to really think about that. I mean, I know I certainly, um, you know, we have conversations. I think you're something, Daya, that you said about having the ability to talk about contradictions and have nuanced conversation. I've, I've certainly had those with my kids. I wish I prayed a little bit more with them. I know, too, that I grew up in a you know pretty, pretty religious home and... I have family who's not religious mm-hmm. because of that. I because of it, I guess. <laughs> but there's a part of me that's I, I certainly want my children to to know about the gospel and to know about the kingdom and Christ. And there's also a part of me that wants them to really embrace it on their own volition, you know, and and not feel like it's something that they were forced to do. I think there's there's kind of a little bit of uh, a danger in both uh, ways of looking at that, but you've got me thinking about how I need to how, how I need to be doing more for faith formation now that at home because it's it's again it's something that's it's not just a pandemic thing it needs to be done no matter what you know what the world looks like. I loved the freedom of doing it at, ho- at home, and I don't know if that helps you or not. Sometimes I think the way we talk in churches about faith formation. For children can be really obedience based and mm. authoritarian. And I am not that way. <laughs> and so this has been such a lovely year. I mean, we have wonderful curriculums that are not like that. Like I'm crazy about godly play. There are lots of wonderful, mm. wondering opportunities. But there is a decades or centuries long habit in churches of children, even though we're trying to break it, children being seen and not heard, children needing to conform. There 
there's so much room to play at home. And when we can practice that there, we can get brave enough to make it an institutional habit. Hmm. What an awesome way to think about that. I love that. So having a two-year-old faith formation, I feel like I just have zero expertise about what that should look like for someone that, I mean, whatever expertise means, but um, so we, we have done, um, you know, church on the TV or on the computer, whatever that looks like. And often my daughter is really interested in what's going on on the screen. She'll talk about the music. We work, we worship with a community that we're actually not a part of at this point because we've moved. And so we worship with a sort of a community I was a part of a long time ago, but she'll color and then kind of like pop up and look and think about, you know, like talk about what's going on or why, why um, the pastor's talking and not singing and things like that. (laughs) Um, But also, I mean, around uh, my sister's birthday is in November. And so for her birthday, I gifted her a devotional and then the book that went along with it from the salt project. And so that was such a neat, like we were able to do that together. She, my sister actually also works at a church, but it was just neat to be able to sort of walk through that together for Lent. She did something similar for me as a gift. And so having people outside of my home too, to do some of that, but even just around Christmas playing with nativity sets, we have tons of like little kid, you know, safe to play with little people for nativity, um, things like that. And just having the conversations and every night we, um, with Penny, I will pray together. And then, um, just when she was born, I sort of created this little blessing that I do with her. And so uh, like just really simple things that, that we've just continued, but yeah, my hope is that down the road that something, something may stick and um, that's between her and God and what, what, she'll continue to practice. But at two years old with like limited vocabulary, she'll ask about Jesus a lot. And we have a few like little kids, Jesus storybooks and Bibles, but also like having a seminary degree, sometimes I will um, do plenty of editing because there's not a ton of great, super accurate, you know, all of those things. Like there there is actually a lot out there, but yes. So I will go more in depth. And then sometimes she's like, Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready to read go dog go now. (laughs) I love that piece about you giving her a blessing regularly. I confess that that's one of the ways that I go rogue. I know that blessing is one of the priestly ABCs, but I go rogue there and I'm glad you do with your daughter too. (laughs) I'm not blessing anything. Uh, Yeah. Yes. I go rogue there as well. (laughs) There's a, uh, there's a Lutheran pastor who says that if we ever are confused about what we should be saying to someone else about their lifestyle, then all we need to say is bless you. Like we just have, we need to say nothing else to them if we have our own thoughts on what they're choosing to do. For uh, being a part of this today with us. We're sad that Christopher wasn't with us. Also, this is our last uh, podcast episode for the season, but we are planning another season. We'll be back. Emma? (laughs) Yeah, we'll be back sometime in the fall with uh, all new guests and new topics and hopefully the same (laughs) hosts. (laughs) A little deeper digging.